podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. But yeah, you you have to sort of go into a sort of like a default mode of of seeing things in a very different way and and making sure that you looked after everybody. I mean, I remember Frank Williams gave gave me a very good piece of advice. If you think you're going to cry, put your sunglasses on. Um, Because, I mean, he was devastated, but he was practical. Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Words podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's Sunday and it's another non-race week, but that doesn't matter because we are bringing you some incredible guests to come and talk about what happens inside of motorsport. To meet this wonderful guest with me, we have James over in Paris. How are you, James? I'm all good, thanks. How are you, Ollie? I'm very good. I'm very hot, but I'm very good. And we have Delilah. All good, thank you. Good stuff. And we have Anne Bradshaw, the queen of PR in motorsport. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Like the rest of you, Hot, but I've I've run away to my kitchen, which is the coolest place in my, in my home. <laughs> Brilliant. So um, for people who might not know who you are, Anne, um, can you sort of summarise yourself for our listeners? Right. Uh, well, I suppose I'm a PR consultant. I've worked in motorsport in almost all forms for 51 years. Um, and I'm currently working um, with the amazing W Series, promoting women in motorsport, uh, which uh, is something very dear to my heart. It's, I mean, it's an absolutely awesome place for you to uh, be in your career now, especially as, a, as one of the, the first women in motorsport. But you've been on an incredible career through your journey. Um, and some of the drivers, I'm not going to take the shine here, but you've worked with some closely with some incredible people. Do you want to just say, say a few names, just tease us with uh, a few of the people? I'll start off with one I spoke to recently, who I went to congratulate him because he was retiring. And he said, you've outlasted us all. And that's Seb Vettel. And then Damon Hill, Alan Prost, Ayrton Senna, Nelson Piquet, Jacques Villeneuve, uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, Ricardo Patrese, David Coulthard, Thierry Bootsen. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, oh, obviously, uh, Keki Rosberg. Mustn't forget Keki. And last but not least, Nigel Mansell. I was hoping Nigel was coming. <laughs> I had to leave until the end, really, because yeah. I think if, if you're a motorsport fan in the UK, everybody knows Nigel and has has a has a real love for him. He's a he's a it's a funny character, but uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's iconic. Yeah, uh, I actually have a very belated thank you because I think as a baby, uh, you somehow orchestrated a, a signed, autographed photo of him coming to me, and it was on my bedside table as a kid. So, thank you. you know, quarter of a century later. That's a pleasure, and any time it was a pleasure. Is it still there, James? It is actually back in Windsor, not in Paris. <laughs> I didn't risk bringing it over. And he's got one of Beyonce there now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how his girlfriend will feel about that. <laughs> So, um, and talk to us a bit about your role, because working as a press officer, people think they know what press officers do, but they probably don't. What does it sort of involve, and what are sort of the the, the key day-to-day roles of a press officer in, you know, F1 and motorsport? Basically, you are the person between the media 
and the team. And that means all its members, not just the drivers, but team principals, engineers, mechanics. So the idea is that the press officer makes sure that whatever stories get out there in any form of media, um, show the team in a good light and help, you know, right, you know, make, make sure that the media can get to the drivers um, and say and, and know the full story of what's going on. It's a, I mean, it it's one of those things that has evolved over the years because when I first started, it was a matter of somebody coming along with a notebook and pen and writing a few quotes down and going away, you know, writing an article that would appear three or four days later um, to one where whatever media you're dealing with, it's an instant thing because social media is so important. So nowadays, you know, you you don't have any chance to to second guess things. You, you if you know you if if your driver says something wrong, it's right up there. Uh, you don't have time to take the journalist to one side. So don't don't use that because it's it's straight onto all the social platforms. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, we have to make sure that the team is in its best light. And um, but also when there are problems, you have to do a bit of firefighting and try and get. A, a sort of a, a more positive slant on what could be a difficult story. Do you think it changed how much like drivers are media trained these days? Oh yes, I mean when I started back in 1971, I don't think anybody knew what media training was. You know, the drivers would just sit, sit by somebody to tell tell them the life history, and the guy would write it down. Um, yeah, I mean also because so much is visual now, that you know, they've all got their own platforms as well, which it makes a big difference, and they want to portray a very good image uh, when they're on their own TikToks or Twitters or Instagrams. Um, and uh, yeah, there, there is a lot of media training now because also they, they, ha they have no time to, to go back and say, well, I don't want to say that because it's said. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, um, I think it's in some ways it's a good thing. And in other ways it's a bad thing because um, I remember one of our drivers, and I won't mention who it was at Williams and Patrick Head was, terribly upset that he came sort of packaged he says he's packaged i i like my drivers just to be you know shoot from the hip and things like that but um yeah, it's 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 important because they are they are representing not only the team but very high level sponsors and so you have to make sure that that they know how to handle the difficult questions so and you have been a journalist yourself so that that does mean by default you know what journalists are looking for and you know what's going to make a good story or even how things can be twisted to make a story how, how do you balance what your your drivers can say to the media whilst giving the sort of the truth and the real representation uh, knowing that one word wrong could just blow things out of the water in this day and age we have all these sort of documents that we send to the drivers called tone of voice or you know people call it different things so i mean before before a a weekend you'll you'll do a document which you'll get your drivers to read and it will actually have the flashpoints you know there might be something general in in motorsport there might be something specific to your team or your championship and so you have to make sure that they've all seen that and give them a briefing if, if they've got any any queries about it um i mean all, all the f1 teams i know will have a session with the media and the drivers and you know, the team principals and engineers before a, a race weekend just just to flag these things up and and yeah bring them the latest on it so it's a it, there's, there's a lot of stuff you have to do behind the scenes just to make sure that nobody's caught out i can imagine um just circling back to sebastian you mentioned a minute ago 
just what do you think? Do you think he's retired at the right time? Is that your own personal opinion? My own personal opinion is whatever Sebastian does, he does it for the right reasons for Sebastian and his family. And I think he's done it for those reasons. He's not not a knee-jerk reaction. And I'm positive it's not, oh, well, I haven't done that well this, this year, so I'm leaving. It's He's worked out that for him, his family, and what he wants to do in, in his life, um, which, you know, when you look at the, the platforms he's using to to get us all to think about where you know the world we live in, I think is absolutely right because that I'm. I say I did have a chat with him um, last race weekend, and it was yeah it was interesting and uh, yeah it, uh, absolutely hundred percent the right thing for him. I believe you uh, you worked with Sebastian at the very start in two thousand and seven at BMW. How much has he changed over the years? Yeah, I mean, I knew I I knew him. From Formula BMW days, uh, because I was working, I was working then with Formula BMW, and then obviously his first race was, was when I was press officer for BMW Sauber. Um, I, he's not changed at all. He was he, he's very anglicised because his his mother in law is English, and she always exposed him to English humour. You know, he loved Little Britain, he loved Faulty Towers, and and we used to spend hours talking about that. He loves the Beatles. Um, and he always liked sitting down and talking with the, with the media. And he'd always say, oh, can you get some of the British journalists? I like to listen to what's going on. And I think he's still the same. He's still the same person, approachable, wants to do things, wants to do things for the right reasons. Never had an ego. Uh, I've, ne- I've never seen him put out by anything. He's always able to look at something and be logical about how he sees it. So I, I, don't, I, I think that the, the, the young boy I met and the, uh, the man now actually have the same core values and are the same person. And about, I think, how Seb is now very active in, like, you know, his campaigns outside of Formula One. How do you think the sport changed in the years? And uh, probably how Lewis and Seb kind of exposed themselves. Um, because I think at times there's this idea that it's something new. And at times there is an idea that, there was something um, that was already going on before, as in like 1985 for the South African Grand Prix. So how do you see, how do you think that changed? I know what you're saying, yeah, you know, the South African Grand Prix. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, even though, I mean, I, I remember going to South Africa when Renault would not go and various other people. But I, I think in those days, it was, Bigger corporations coming out and saying, we don't like this. Um, where now I think the individuals are finding voices, which I think is good. Because I think those days it was like political. And now it's not only political, but it's 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 trying to make sure that we look after our world. And I just think it's really nice that that, that you have two most successful Formula One drivers are coming out and not being frightened to yeah, put their, their thoughts forward on any of these matters. And some of them, you know, obviously people agree with them, people don't, but they're, they're not going to be cowed into, you know, being hypocrites and, and pretending to like it or not. And I just think it's, I think it's great. And I think it's, it, we didn't have it as much in those days uh, because I say South Africa was one tricky situation, obviously with apartheid and that sort of thing. Um, but I think, yeah, I think there are so many other things now with all the, the various movements and, and 
what's been going on in the world that, that it's uh, uh, that people like them feel they have to and 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 I think we should be very proud of having people in our sport who are willing to do that and not just take the money and keep quiet. So, and in your role, there's, there's the easier moments and then there's the more difficult moments you have to deal with. And, you you, you know, you've, you've proven that throughout your career. Before we go on to some of the the, the exciting, triumphant moments, um, you were obviously press officer at the time when um, Senna tragically lost his life. Having been there, in, 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 obviously in that world at the time, how did you handle that? And, and how was the real situation on the ground with no one really understanding quite what had gone on at the time, if, if you want to talk about it? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fact of life and motor racing is dangerous. If I say I don't want to talk about it, it means I, I, I turn to you know say, oh no, 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 we, you know, I, I don't want to talk about it. You have to, and you have to think about it. And it's not something that you want to prepare yourself for, but you try. I mean, we all have crisis plans now. We we didn't in those days, but every team, every championship has a crisis plan of how to deal with these things. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's it. I think it was difficult because it was so public. Um, it came off the back of a, of a horrendous weekend um, when you know, people were looking at us and then suddenly this happened. But yeah, you, you have to sort of go into a sort of like a default mode of, of seeing things in a very different way and, and making sure that you looked after everybody. I mean, I remember Frank Williams gave, gave me a very good piece of advice. If you think you're going to cry, put your sunglasses on. Um, because, he, I mean, he was devastated, but he was practical. Um, I had to go into a mode where I had to talk to the FIA and all the various people and make sure that any information that came out from us was the right information. As you say, we didn't we didn't have a lot of information because you know in those days you didn't have mobile phones and all this sort of thing. But um, yeah, it was it was a difficult situation. Um, but I had to also remember that there were mechanics who had been working on his car and what they were thinking. I mean awful to say it in, in but in some ways Ayrton was taken out of the equation where I was concerned I was concerned about his welfare and I wanted the best information but he was he was there in the hospital being looked after by those professional people but I'd got a, a team of people who I who I needed to make sure they weren't hassled by the media get them back home and get them away from from what was a dreadful situation in the best possible way because as I say but when when you you've been working on somebody's car and that happens you're you're going to you know, obviously doubt yourself and start worrying so we had to think about those guys who who were need, needed support and luckily we got them back to the UK we were on a charter flight everybody was amazing the people at the airport at Gatwick the, the TB people who agreed if I came out and spoke to them they wouldn't try to stop the mechanics those sort of things and um, yeah I, I think it would be a very different world today because as I say, we, we, there's a lot more social media and people rushing. But in those days, we had a, had an awful lot of support and a lot of goodwill from not only the community, but also from the Brazilian community, who were amazing. How they they never you never once was saying, "Oh, you know, you killed Ed." And there were there were people outside our gates bringing us flowers, bringing us cakes, just sitting there to talk. And it was amazing. It was an amazing time when everybody came together in a common grief. That's lovely to hear from, yeah, what was obviously such a horrible moment for the sport as, as one. I think that I think people knew that. Uh, and like you said, everyone came together and nobody pointed fingers. It was great. Um, yes, Senna was one of uh, a very impressive list that you reeled off earlier. And 
out of all those drivers over all the years that you've worked with, who did you enjoy working with the most? Who was maybe the easiest to, let's say, manage the uh, the PR image of? I'm sure you won't say who was the, the trickiest. <laughs> no. um, I mean, Ricardo Patrese was just a dream. I loved him to bits and he was very, it was a real Italian gentleman. Um, David da- Damon was good. David Coulthard, two of them, but, you know, they, they were... They were both easy to deal with. Um, now, there, there are some difficult ones to deal with, but I loved working with them because we got a, a, re, a relationship that worked. And, and one was Juan Pablo Montoya and one was Jacques Villeneuve. And they could be difficult, but I worked, learned, you know, what kept them happy. And they, if, I, if I just lo- had lots of spare caps to give to Juan Pablo when he didn't want to do anything, I'd sort of trade with caps. And when Jacques got out of the car, I used to know that he wanted a pint of cold milk and some Cabbage dairy milk chocolate. And I was there with that. So very simple. You work you work out what, what keeps them going. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> the simple things to to keep an F1 driver happy. Yeah. Chocolate and milk and caps. Why did Juan Pablo want all the caps? Oh, he wanted to give them to his friends. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he wanted to give them to his friends. And yes. How do you think it changed from like working with F1 drivers to like the W series drivers who are more? Um, as the first thing, and second, they tend to be younger. Well, I mean, I've worked obviously with Formula BMW, so I've worked with really young drivers in the past, and and obviously with W Series, we have everybody from seventeen to sort of thirty. So we do have a, I mean, we have eighteen amazing female drivers who are so thankful for being there, so not taking it for granted, you know. Every one of them has a different story. Some of them, it's the start of the, of the story. Some of them, they thought their careers were over and suddenly we resurrected. So they're, they're just so easy to deal with. They, they're positive. Um, I mean, Delali, you, you've been to a couple of races with us and seen, you know, they're happy to sit down and talk. Um, um, yeah, I, I think they're, 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 it's very easy to, to, to work with them. And it's very rewarding because, We've got a different story we're telling, and we've been very lucky, particularly people such as yourselves, have given us so much positive coverage, which we we do appreciate. We never take for granted. But I think that you know we've we've caught imagination all around the world, and wherever we go, it's great. I mean, when we were in in Hungary, I mean, the grandstands were full, and all the Dutch were cheering Weizsäcker on, and things like that. Um, so I, yeah, I think uh, it it's a it's a it's a nice feeling to to deal with those drivers and. Uh, know that that every one of them is appreciative of what we're doing for them and the opportunity that they've been given and taking both with both hands hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. So before W Series, if I'm cor- correct me if I'm wrong, Anne, but you worked with Lance Stroll. Um, 
Now, Lance Stroll, I, I, I'm very interested in, in, in hearing your thoughts on this because he's been seen as someone who's only there because of his dad. And um, actually, the, the, Lance Stroll can drive. We've seen that. He's proved himself. He's even put it on pole. How did you manage um, being sort of his press officer and trying to manage how much he says? Because Lance Stroll is clearly one of the people who doesn't say much um, compared to other drivers. He seems to have a lot more, lot less screen time. But I'm sure that affects him behind the scenes. So how, how does that sort of balance work? Yeah, I mean, to me, that was that was really difficult because, as you say, he's not a bad driver. He's proved himself and he's he's one of the best starters in the business. And I think he's got a real talent. But when you come and people, before you're even in a car, people are starting saying, oh, you're only there because your father's millions. Okay, perhaps he was, but give the guy a chance to prove that he could drive. And, you know, he's a a very nice, very pleasant person. But obviously, when you're battered by that, it does affect you. And so you think, well, if I just keep quiet, they, they might, you know, might, slip under the radar and and on various occasions when we were having a tough time uh and i used to have to say to them unfortunately we can't keep quiet we have to go out because if you hide from this they'll 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 beat you up but if you go out and you actually come down and say right okay i've made a mistake we've had a problem this is this is my part in it they will they will respect you and I'll give him his due whenever we had those situations. He listened to me. He went down and never turned around to me and said that was the wrong thing to do. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a nice person. And, and I say, he's a, I don't know. You never know. Because he's got such a forceful, strong father, um, people just tend to think, oh, he's only there because his father's pushed him there. But you know, he, he worked hard from a, from a young lad on karting, worked his way through. And, you know, his father wasn't in the car. Okay, his father might have been paying for it, but you know, he when 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 a lot of the young kids would be off doing other things, he was de- he was determined to make it work. And I've, I've got a lot of respect and a lot of I, I I'm I'm very fond of Lance, and I had two years with him, and yeah, I think he he deserves a lot more credit than he gets. Of course, we have seen a couple of weeks ago during the French Grand Prix. The clerk making a mistake and then going in front of the media and saying, that was my fault, I made a mistake and um, everything else. Do you think that was right on a, on a PR point of view? Because I know there were a lot of mixed feelings about it. I've got such respect for him. Any driver who will do that and not blame somebody else or something else or their equipment, I have such respect for. I mean, I think he's a, I don't know him, but I think he looks at just... The, the proper package, very quick, very human being, very respectful of of where he is and what he's doing, and is uh, yeah, I yeah, I think you know, I think that was absolutely the right thing to do. I mean, I I, I know people love it when you know I say people there are some there are some media that it's a great story if he slags his team off or he slags somebody else off. There are publications that that's. That's how they get their their energy from from oh that's great you know that he he slagged him off so you know suddenly he's like, oh you know so Leclerc's having a battle with Ferrari and you know or there's that and he's not going to do that and I think it's just nice not playing the game and and not feeding the oh let's let's cause a problem frenzy I think it's great no I think I I, I hope that most people appreciated what he did and gave him the right kudos for it. 
I think, yeah, definitely. He's He's got to be the most open, honest in terms of his own mistakes, like taking culpability for, for his own errors of anyone on the grid, I think. Every time he makes even the... He's calling himself an idiot and... Yeah, yeah he's yeah, very self-critical, it's isn't he? Yeah. 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 It, we say it, it won't catch on, will it? <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> no, probably not, sadly. But no, it's, it's nice to see. It's refreshing. Um, in terms of Charles and Ferrari and obviously how this year has gone, I mean, I know you've worked at a lot of teams and obviously some when they were very successful, Williams and McLaren. How can Ferrari change what's happening at the moment? I, I know, obviously, it's, some of it's going to be technical and stuff, but do you think on a on a deeper level there's something that they're doing wrong that's a million dollar question that's a few million dollar question that James <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, obviously I don't know the inner workings of, of Ferrari I mean I know they're Italian so you know they are, there's a certain Italian way of doing things um, and I mean we all remember when John Todd Ross Braun et al were, were running a very very successful team there um, so they've got an Sure as hell, they've, they've got the budget to do it, but I don't know. I mean, if, I suppose if you look look around and like Frank always just said, there's no such thing as total domination. Once you're up there, they're all after you, and you will come back down again. But then you know, we, as we've seen with Mercedes, suddenly they're they're back down. But I, I, you, we all want Ferrari to do well. It's iconic. It's Formula One, the prancing horse, and I. I have belief in them. I, I have belief that that they've got such a passion for what they're doing that yeah they, they'll, they'll sort it. It's just unfortunate that you know sort of they've had some some rather disastrous problems with the car. But yeah, you know, well as we we will say you know it's easier to make a fast unreliable car reliable than it is a slow reliable car fast. Very true, uh, Nigel went to Ferrari and then returned to Williams. So did he have anything to say about kind of the, the difference when he came back to you, having been in the team himself? No, no, I can't remember him ever. You know, I mean, he obviously the Italians loved him. Il Leone. Il Leone, yeah. yeah. They just loved him. Um, and and he, he loves that. He can feed off, off the adoration like he does of the, you know, the British crowds in the old days. Um, and I can't remember him, but yeah, I mean... I think I think any any fan wanted Nigel in their car because he 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 drove eleven tenths. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't somebody who, who took things easily and didn't try. But I think, uh, but no, because he did Ferrari and then he you know, obviously did the states and things like that. So it's no Nigel's not the sort of person who would come back and do that. He'd just come back and get in the car and drive it. This episode is brought to you by Eight Sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer and nature's best medicine. Consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues, decrease the risk of heart disease, lower blood pressure, and even reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. Yet, still more than 30% of people struggle with sleep and temperature is one of the main causes of poor sleep. I personally have always struggled to get the right temperature in my room when I'm sleeping and ruining my sleep. Now I'm falling asleep in record time. Thank you to 8Sleep Pod Pro Cover. The Pod Pro Cover is one of the most advanced solutions on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can add the cover to any mattress that you already own. The temperature of the cover will adjust to each side of the bed based on your sleep stages. 
biometrics and the bedroom temperature reacting intelligently to create their optimal sleeping environment. Go to 8sleep.com forward slash formula nerds to check out the Pod Pro cover and save £150 at checkout. 8sleeps ships to the USA, Canada and the UK. So, and you, you were with Nigel Ansel when he was in 1992 when he won his championship. Am I, am I right? Yep. Good. I'm sure part of being a press officer is, is half of that's being a friend, I would imagine, because you're, you're obviously a lot to, together a lot of the time. How does it feel to win a championship with your driver? And when you want to scream and cheer, uh, how do you stop? How do you stop it just becoming pure chaos? And can you tell me that you at least partied all night long? I can't remember. How do we That's ask a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I claim the Fifth Amendment, please. <laughs> the thing was that it was one of those situations that we knew we were going to win it. We were so dominant. And it's, you know, it's like with Damon, who always made it difficult. To, we took us to the last, last round and, you know, ne- ne- didn't do it easily for us. And we were, I mean, I mean, okay, it was, it was teammates there. But, um, yeah, I, it, it's awful to say it, but it, it was almost too easy. I mean, to, to, win, to win by Hungary. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously we're all thrilled and we're all delighted, but. And he didn't even win it with a win, did he? he? You know, he didn't even win the race. So, yeah, I mean, it was lovely. And, and obviously, but you've got to remember that Frank Williams doesn't like, well, didn't bless him, didn't like great shows of emotion. And being a, a team principal, what they want is the constructors. That's where the money comes from. So as far as he was concerned, get that constructors championship sorted out. That's the one that gets sorted out. Um, and I mean, Frank was the sort of person, if, if anybody in the garage was, you know, you're watching TV and one of our opposition retired and somebody started celebrating, Frank was just not, he, he, he hated that. Um, so, yeah, Frank was, though he was immensely proud and he, uh, his team was his life and he didn't want people whooping and hooping in the garage emotions. It, it wasn't what he wanted. So we were all a little, little, little a very low British key. stiff upper lip kind of approach, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Damon and going to the, the bitter end and obviously, yeah, 96, it, it came good. But how was it in 94 after the incident with, with Michael Schumacher? Well, Managing Damon and his emotions uh, and Damon, the outside of it. Damon was fine. It was, man, it was managing George Harrison and Barry Sheen who were there with us. <laughs> that was my problem. They were screaming and shouting and yelling all sorts of abuse at the TV screen. No, da- Damon... Damon was philosophical. You know, Damon, Damon, very philosophical. Damon, it's quite funny, he was quite potty mouth on, when he'd get in the car. You, you'd, get, you'd give a headset to a sort of a, the wife of a, of a sponsor and then you'd hear these things, oh my gosh, yes, Damon blasphemy and things like that. But, um, but he was also a, quite a calm person. And he, he, I mean, he tried his best, he tried his hardest, and that was, you know, that was just one of those situations. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, but, um, he, yeah, he, it was perhaps more, it was definitely more philosophical than two friends there who were getting very excited. I don't know if it was already perceived how, like, Williams was going to become such a legendary team, but how do you sort of also narrate the history of the team as well as the drivers? Because I feel like, a lot of times it feels like the focus is only on them 
But then as a press officer, you also want the team to sort of shine. Yeah, like I was saying, you know, from, from a, a team point of view, it's not the driver's title you want, it's the, it's the constructors. And that was something that, 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 you know, sort of Frank was desperate for. And we all were, we, you know, our bonus points came from that. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it was a different, there were very different days then, you know, there, there were, we were, yeah, okay, we had, we had works engines and things like that, but they were still, it was still individual teams privately owned. And it was just, just there was a, some very amazing people who had set these teams up and were just almost bigger than the sport because what they'd achieved. Um, and yeah, I mean, Frank, Frank, despite being in a wheelchair, every sinew of his body was was devoted to that team. And we had Patrick Head, um, yeah, and then we had Adri- Adrian New as well. I mean, we had three of the most driven men on our side at Williams. Um, and so I suppose it's it it wasn't it it wouldn't shouldn't come as a surprise that when you've got such talent there that you've become successful. Um, I mean, you look at the same that happened with McLaren. They had the most amazing talented lineup there and they got all their successes. Uh, like I said before, Ferrari, you look at the Ross Brauns and the Jean Todds and this world. And I think there are some special people in, in the sport and you just know if you work with them and you see what they're doing, that they are they are very talented. And so it shouldn't shouldn't come as a surprise if two or three of them get together, pull all their energies and and intelligence, and everything that 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 would then become a winning team. It's, I think that's that's the way I look at it. And it's you know you 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 look at that. It's no team has ever been successful by having one man at the top. It's always been a well the word team, and uh, yeah. So I think Williams had got the right people there. And you, I mean, you look you look at what's gone on now, and you look at Red Bull. Obviously, Adrian Newey, they've got the right man there, and Christian Horner, very driven. And you know, they've got a, they've got a, a team, and people like Jonathan Weekly, they've got a very strong team. Did you spend much time with Adrian when he was at Williams? Did you get to know him at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in those days, we all we all we didn't have separate driver room and separate this and meeting with we all we all did everything together and you know we, we all ate together and we we chatted together so yeah lovely man you know really obviously pe- people like adrian you know when, when we had situation in 94 it hit him badly because you know it was his car his and and patrick but oh no adrian was very easy very good to work with like all those sort of engineers and people they're they're so wrapped up in what they're doing that sometimes you think, gosh, what you know? Do they have any common sense about you know buying a pint of milk or something? They sort of they know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can imagine Adrian Newey not not knowing whether he drinks semi skimmed or full. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the thing like Pat, we had Brothmans, and as you know, with, with cigarette companies, it was so difficult because nearly every country you went to, there was a different rule about what you could have on the car, on your clothing, your branding. You know, France, you couldn't have anything in. You, you couldn't in, in the UK you'd have racing and, and Canada and so did Patrick never quite got that. A number of times he'd be walking across the paddock in, in 
in Manicor where if you get the wrong livery, you're fined. You know, with Rothman's blazing across his jumper and things like that. You know, he'd put the first thing on he got in the morning. You wouldn't think that, oh, is, is this a, a, a limited <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brand? So you said about Rothman's and uh, it's one of the great, great liveries, I think. Um, but uh, have you kind of amassed much memorabilia uh, over the, the decades in F1? And if so, which is your most cherished? be honest with you not that much because i i tended to think well i wanted to go home and and not not have it all around me yeah i mean i've got a i've got a really lovely it's a, it's a hieroglyphics you know the, the when they the, the great fancy turkish writing i've got a great thing that a guy did in turkey but for all the f1 drivers and and did, did their did their names in this script and it's beautiful. And um, it's Seb's. And he he gave it to me and it's signed to my, you know, to my motor racing mum. Now that's uh-huh. that's, that's great. on my wall. Um I have a really strange thing called a Japanese tumbler. If you know you know what a Japanese Japanese tumblers are? Like the heads. They're made of like paper mashy. Oh, the ones that they all wear at Suzuka. Like with the cars as the hats, and then they make the actual faces. This, this, this is a, this is a. If you look, it's it's called a tumbler, and it's got it's a, like a a mask thing, but a big head thing. You not you put it on, and what happens in Japan when you start a project, you're given one of these, and it's the eyes are white, but it's, it's sort of big and round. And look look up tum look up Japanese tumbler, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And when you start it, you have to fill in one eye and this was all done up in Rothman's livery and it came along came along this is a Japanese journalist said you know behalf of the magazine we want give this to Damon to fill in so filled in the eye and when he's achieved what he's got to achieve when he's finished we bring it back he fills in the other eye and then we give it back to him and uh, Damon gave that to me I mean it's mad mad but I love it and that's in my office so yeah I mean I've but I haven't got a lot because I say, I mean, I've, I've got a signed cap from from Lewis from, his, you know, when he, when he won, his, you know, the, the year he won his seventh world championship. I've got a signed cap by both, uh, by a Ferrari cap that was by by Charles and Seb. So, but very, very, yeah, a few other things. And to be honest with you, I've managed to give them away and, or you know, set, set, give them people to, to to auction off those sort of things, and yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, I'm a hoarder anyway, so I can't hoard too. Much. <laughs> I have just been googling a Japanese tumbler. Um, so, and you've travelled the world. I'm really, uh, and for many years, I'm I'm interested to know where's your favourite place to go racing. Just for you, not about where's the best racing or, or where's been the best results. Just where do you enjoy going? Oh, Montreal. I've heard that one before. That, that's one that I, that's one I haven't been to, so I, I need to get there. A lot of people have said that. I think it's changed. It's changed in, 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 since we first went because there we all used to. There was this this place that we all went to in the evenings. The nickname was the Orange Box Club because ladies would have this little thing like an orange box and walk around, and then you'd give them ten dollars. They'd stand in front of you, strip, and you give them the ten dollars, and they go away and they do it for somebody else. And uh, so we all used to go to those. And I mean, the whole planet was in there. It's sort of one of the things, it's not sleazy because we were all there. 
And then you know, you'd, 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 take, you'd find one and you think, ah, oh, she'll do for Patrick and you'd send her over to Patrick and then that one will do for Joe Ramirez. And, and it, we were all there and it was great fun. So that, but also whitewater rafting, it's a great circuit and the nightlife there and the food. Yeah. The um, food. This is what I keep hearing. The food. Yeah. I think it was, oh, who was it? Uh, Lawrence Barreto. He was telling me about all the different restaurants. When we, were, we had him on the podcast, I had to edit about half of it out because it was just became the food podcast um, of Canada and actually oh. the rest of the world. But yeah, he said that. Yeah, lots of vegetables and things like this. Oh, yeah, it's lovely. It's a lovely, lovely city. And obviously, when you sort of like look back at all the time that you spent in F1 and motorsport in general, what are the moments that you remember the most? Ooh, good question. I used to love my rallying. And so I used to love, I used to love yeah, going on rallies. And I, 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 I love the RAC rally. I used to love that and the great party at the end of it. Um, back in the 70s and 80s. Um, Yeah, it's 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 a difficult one because there's so many things to remember. But I I used to love going like when I worked for Formula BMW and we used to have a world final in Mexico City and things like that. And it was great, you know, going there with the youngsters and and having fun with them. And uh, I mean, and I'll never forget Suzuka '96. You know, you can't you can't forget that uh, with, with Damon and and the party we had afterwards and the next night. And we were in in Tokyo doing all our PR stuff. So yeah, no, it's um, that 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 that's pretty special occasions. Okay, now the final question I'm going to to throw at you, Anne, is is a special question. Now we have a time machine. Okay, it's unbelievable, I know, but it's the motorsport time machine. We 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 built it as the Formula Nerds. Now in this time machine, we're going to invite you in, and you can go anywhere. In, but it has to be to do with motorsport, uh, past, present, or even future. So uh, if you could go anywhere in motorsport, see it, drive it, watch it, where would you go and why? Oh, well, it would be the future. So I've seen the past. I don't need, I know what's happened. <laughs> You're the second person only ever to say that, you know. Absolutely. I mean, perhaps another five years. Let, I tell you what I want. I want to be there when we have a female. Formula One driver. That's where I wanted to take you. Yes. Brilliant answer. Brilliant answer. How long do you think it will be, Anne? I hope it won't be long, but it could it could be five years. It, it could be three, four years. I mean, we've got to produce somebody who's got to do F3 and then F2. So, you know, it's going to be three or four years. I mean, if we if we had somebody who was with us now, like an Abbey Pulling, who in five years could be driving an Alpine F1 car, that would be that would be the dream. That would be lovely. I mean, we've got youngsters. We've got, obviously, Chloe Chambers, American. We'd love to see an American driver. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've got a wealth of talent there. Um, did you know the Bianca Bustamante? We've got, it's going to be, you know, it'd be one of the, the youngsters, one of the academy drivers or yeah, somebody like Abby. But no, that, that, that's where I want to be. I want to, I want to be there. And, and and you know what? I, I truly can believe it can happen. And um, obviously, and we haven't spoken too much about it because we, we do cover it in loads of shows. Delilah's obviously our W Series editor. But you are working with uh, W Series, which is incredible. So can before, I know I said that was my last question, but I'm off on a tangent now. Can yeah. you just explain to our, our listeners why W Series is such a special series and what 
what the things people might not know like it's it, it's not all about the money and the, the 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 funds that the drivers bring just give us a little overview of w series yeah well as we all know it's it's females only and the important thing is they only have to bring their talent they don't have to bring money they they we have dave ryan who's been in the sport ages and knows how to, how to spot a good driver it's been many years with mclaren He's our racing director, and he has the difficult job of working out who who in the world we should test and bring forward. And those people are just brought to us by by people who say this person is talented, and that's all they have to do. And then we pay everything. Uh, and and luckily we have some amazing sponsors who like to promote them. I mean, we have Puma, we have Heineken. Um, and we have we have people who have come in and brought teams, and we have a great group of people who are out there promoting them nonstop because we have to build them, build them up as people who who are recognisable, and we want to make sure that the F1 teams recognise what we're doing and give these drivers an opportunity. Not you know okay. We're we're doing this to promote women, but we want them to give an opportunity, not because they're females, but because they've seen that they're good drivers. And that's the whole thing we need to do. We need to promote women. We also want to promote women as engineers, as mechanics, uh, in all. I mean, we, we do have a very high proportion of women. I also feel sorry for the odd man who works for us, because they're, they are <laughs> in a minority. <laughs> yeah. But having said that, yeah, it's... Um, we, we, we're doing everything we can to promote these women and get them out there. And, and we're, we're thrilled that we've got two of them, Abby Pulling and Alice Powell, who have been recognised and have roles there with Alpine. We have Jess Hawkins, who is there with Aston Martin. And we also have Jamie, who was the first to get involved with the team, with, with Williams. And, and they're a diverse group of people. Um, yeah, and it's... And the other thing I have to say that is so special for us is that first-year driver Naomi Schiff transitioned into being part of our presenting team. And then her talents were, we managed to show her talents. And now she's a Sky F1 presenter. And so we're giving people opportunities in every sphere of sport. So, I, I mean, I, I love this. And I, I, what I wanted to sort of find out in your view, Anne, is we, we had to have this series come in to give people the opportunities. You know, that, that's why it's here. That it's got its purpose. But do you think it has a, a time limit on when it will say, right, we've done our job. Women are now respected, integrated in motorsport and they have equal opportunities. Or do you think there will always be the need for W Series? Yeah, I mean, well, we don't, get the big sponsors coming in and sponsoring women, we're, we're going to be needed. I mean, that is one of the big things that's held all these, these drivers back. And as I say, drivers who we've given, like Alice Powell, Emma Kimmelina, we've given a second opportunity to. Um, for some reason, the sponsors don't want to come and promote them. So until there's a, a total sea change in the way sponsors look at what they want to how they want to promote their, their products, we're always going to be needed. Um, yeah, I mean, we'd love it that half the Formula One grid was female. Um, but 
at the moment, there is there isn't there isn't that that opportunity because there isn't that money going into. I mean, we're fighting hard to get money, and we're very lucky to have some very successful companies who see it as a way of getting their brand name over. But there's still an awful lot out there. You think, why wouldn't you want to promote a woman? Uh, you know, and they're a big sponsor there. And you think, hang on, if you did your market research and you you looked what your the people were buying your product, you might find that there's over 50% women. You think, so why aren't you trying to promote us? But yeah, that's uh, so um I would love it if if we weren't needed, but I think I think we're going to be needed for, for quite a few years yet. And I know Catherine von Muir, our CEO, will not give in until she's made sure that 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 there is that proper path for women. She's she's so determined. So what where are we next in WCs? We're in Singapore, aren't we're we? Singapore, yeah. We could Singapore. Yeah, we Singapore, not not um, Japan. It's uh logistics of getting to Japan with a lot of costs going up tenfold. Um, yeah, that was a shame because we were looking forward to Japan, but then, you know, and we just couldn't have, couldn't afford it. And the, you know, the, the flights and there's, there's still, you know, the cost of flights. That, and Singapore came in and said, yep, we, we'll, we'll help you out. And they're, they're being really good and very, very supportive. And yeah, so... I think I, I've got to be honest, seeing them under the floodlights, I think is going to be even better. So I'm really, really excited for that race in Singapore. Anne, thank you so much for joining us. It's sweltering hot. I'm going to let you go <laughs> because it is so hot here. But thank you for taking us on, on that journey. Um, it's been a pleasure. And it's, you know, we, we, we are following the, the W Series as Formula Nerds and we, we absolutely love it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for, for giving me the platform and, and thank you for everything and you, you've done for the series, which we so appreciate. And thank Delilah for coming to those races with us. And uh, we look thank forward you. to entertaining you all even more. And yeah, it's, we, we realise that, that, that your people, that your, your platform is really important to us. So uh, yeah, on behalf of W Series and all of us, thank you very much. Oh, thank you, man. Well, we will uh, catch up very soon. Uh, you take care. Good luck. And all of you have a good evening. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.